Hi, I'm Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thusio. Thanks for listening to the Thusio Live and Unfiltered podcast. We're bringing our past events back to life for you to enjoy. Dallas Cowboys great and 2007 Hall of Fame inductee Michael Irvin sat down with Jane Slater in January of 2020 to talk about his motivation to be the best wide receiver in the NFL and how the egos in the star-studded locker rooms at the University of Miami and the Cowboys shaped him as a player and helped him become a Super Bowl champion. Enjoy the interview. seconds to complete it with a 45 second rest because that's the play call it's a 45 second clock and and these guys would be out running and of course since I went through so much in my early years I thought I should always do much more than everybody else so the test was 16 110s I would get out and run 16 with a 30 pound weight vest on and then they'd go out and run 16 more and then challenge anybody who else can run those dudes would be dead. <laughs> but 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 it was just and I was a wide receiver. The whole idea, I have to run every play. You know, and the big linemen and, and all these guys, they really have to run. They're, they're just playing in a three-yard space. In a three-yard space. It's three yards for three seconds. You just gotta walk the fat guy that wears 300 pounds. That's all it takes. You can be successful, but for me, I had to run and run and run. So I, I, I was in pretty great shape. Can I tell you how easy it is to moderate an event with a guy like Michael Irvin? <laughs> <laughs> teammates once told me when I was doing radio in Dallas, he showed up wearing a three-piece suit, and of course I'm there in cut-up jeans and a ball cap, and I said, Emmett, you don't have to show up and wear a three-piece suit, and he gave me the best piece of advice I've ever received. You gotta give them what you came for, and you always give us what the fans came for, so I appreciate that. So, okay, your performance at the time was second to none, hence your nickname, The Playmaker. Speak on the drive to be better and how how you would demand more of yourself. I mean, you talked about some of the things that you did early in your career, so you felt like you had to, to do more, but where did the drive come from? But in, in this I love here, and, and even now, you see it as we can bring it current, and you see guys like Tom Brady, who's tweeting out, I still have something to prove. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have nothing to prove. Drew Brees broke the touchdown record a couple weeks ago. You know, I, my job is to analyze everything that people say and do, right? So, so he breaks the record. Tom Brady tweets out a congratulation. And right at the end of the tweet, I'm going to enjoy chasing you. Let <laughs> <laughs> this man have this one record. You got six Super Bowls, he has one. You got all of these records. Let this man have one thing. But he, he can't. He can't. He just can't. His drive to be great 
is, is, is so embedded and engrafted in him, that's what makes him him. I, I, I'll never forget, even in my locker, I had Jerry Rice in my locker in college, and, and I had him in my locker even in the NFL, but I wanted to compete against him so bad that I couldn't wait to compete against him. And I got in the NFL, started competing against him. I, I, I won receiver of the year over Jerry Rice, you know, most yards and all of that. And I'll never forget, I made the first Pro Bowl in Jerry Rice. We were at Hawaii, and Jerry Rice came up and said, Hey, Herb, I knew it was him. <laughs> I think that's Jerry Rice. Don't turn around, make a comment. <laughs> hey, Herb. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work this year. I chased y'all, yeah, I couldn't catch you, so, but I'm already working to get you. I was like, wow, really? this is, you do the Super Bowl Pro Bowl a week after the season. He was already training again. That's what you, in order to touch those guys and be anywhere in the room with those guys, you can't rest. And Jimmy used to always say that each day you get better or you get worse. In the day you decide to do nothing, you just decided to get worse because somebody else gets better, and I've always stuck and lived with that. All right, let's also talk about the fact, this is a little known fact I didn't know about you, 15th of 17 children. Yes. Does your drive come from maybe the fact you were trying to get your parents' attention? Do you know what it's like growing up at 15th of 17? I don't, that's why I'm asking you. I mean, I'm talking about having nothing, and we were whole of everybody. Word is poor, but we were so poor. The report that I was poor. Nothing at that. You were poor, and, and everything you got, you know, I'm big in in fashion because all of those years, all of those years, I got past me down. So, so you know, I'm the 15. So, he got it way up here. So say he got a pair of bell-bottom jeans. By the time they fell me, I'm just praying. Please, God, let me back inside. <laughs> you just pray that it back in style, man. <laughs> and yeah, you know, growing up, yeah, I'm a spiritual man. And Elder right here is one of my elders right here. Elder Randall, I love him to death, man. He's giving me so much spiritual counseling. And, and, and as a spiritual man, I never told Elder, but boy, I was high at God for giving me all these brothers and sisters. We had nothing, all these brothers and sisters. But later on, it was the best asset for me because I learned to work with people. And in football, there's no individual isolated success. You gotta learn to work with people. So it helped me in the long run to be able to say I won championships on every level. Mm -hmm. And I do. And let's talk about championships. Jerry has been trying to chase that sort of success ever since he took over the team in 1989. Today at the press conference, he talked about how good Troy Aikman and the people around him made him look because he had Troy Aikman as the first pick in the draft. So when you come in like that, you look like a winner right off the bat. You had a guy like Jimmy Johnson. How hard was it to be on this team full of some of these dynamic personalities? I mean, workhorses, guys like Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith. What was it like being in that locker room culture? But we had a great nucleus of guys that really wanted to do something special. You know, and, and that was a great part of it. And, you know, it, it, after like the 90, 91 season, I remember him driving home 
he had just won running back of the year and I won receiver of the year, but we had got to keep out of the playoffs. And, and, and I said to him, he, he said, man, it was great. Yeah, I said, yeah, but not great enough. It was great individually. He said, yeah, you're right. We'll get it next year. And then we actually started, ended up winning the Super Bowl. So I, I try to tell young guys now, because I'm, you know, in the business and I'm always around. I said, you know, when you find that nucleus of people that really want to do something great, then it's up to you guys to make sure everybody that comes in that locker room falls in line with what you are trying to accomplish. We practice this way. We play this way. We do things this way. And if you are not going to do it, we can be friends, but we cannot be teammates. You got to pat your feet, beat your feet, and get out the room and get off this team. So as long as you set those goals, man, and set the way things are going to work and the way you're going to work, the way you're going to practice, you can accomplish that. And I try to share that with the young men today. You know, it's interesting when I look at this Cowboys team, there aren't a lot of big egos in that locker room. There's a lot of guys, I think, that quietly lead. There's, you know, obviously some dynamic personalities. But when you want to talk about egos, I think of Troy. I think of the big personality of your head coach. I think of your bombastic personality. Egos are the problem. How egos did you guys the problem. set the egos aside? You can diminish the ego. But there's the mean I'm, dealing, I, I'm not I'm dealing with people with diminished ego, but I'm, I'm dealing with people with diminished hunger. You know, my son, when, when, when I told my son, my son, I, I grabbed him one day, and he said, son, what do you want to do? He said, I want to play. I want to play in the NFL one day. I said, oh, really? He said, yes. I said, okay. Go back your bag. So you got to get out. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to send you, I sent him this little my nephew in Florida. You know, and he was around here breaking records, catching 22, 23 passes in a game. And was, I come home, man, and he's got girls all out in the pool, and they're all. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, you know how hard I ran thinking about one day I'm going to be able to do this, and you're doing it now? <laughs> I said, son, it's not about physical skill set. In order to make it at this level, everybody can run, everybody can catch, everybody can jump. You gotta match the hunger of the dude across from you. And you can't match his hunger living in this house. He's playing for this house. So you gotta go. I kicked him out. I sent him there with my nephew. <laughs> when he called, the first time he called, he said, Dad, uh, this, 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 I'm staying in this little room, and it has this thing, it looks like a TV with this big old box on the back of it. They got a fair bottle, I can't even turn. I said, Yeah. Yeah, not, not even worse. Yeah. <laughs> and when I go to visit, when I went to visit, I said, what's wrong with the girls here? You don't have anybody over here. Like, right, you know what I mean? That's how your dad grew up. When people would give me a ride home, I was like, just drop me off on the corner. I'm like, I can make it from here. You will not see that house I grew up in. You will not see that house. And, and, and I think no matter what you have, if you don't have the hunger, that's a wasted gift God has given you. Okay, talk about the hunger. You did a lot in your career, but let's talk about the last one, 1999. You had to end your career due to injury. I know a lot of you guys, I feel like Troy Aikman would have continued to play had it not been for the concussions. And even he said he almost came out of the booth in the Eagles game to go play uh, play back in the, in, in the league. But how do you deal with that type of adversity when a guy like you is so competitive who's found success in your sport, who I know in your mind knows that you can continue to play, but your body's saying you can't do it. 
do it? How do you handle that sort of adversity? Well, my body, yeah, stopped those things. And after I finally got up um, and, and got movement back in my body, I, it, you know, after it paralyzed in Philadelphia, I did go out. Got 15 doctors just trying to find one. I said, oh, I think you still the play. You know, I was just trying to find one, and they all were like, you know, the next hit could be the last hit. And that, that made it difficult just from trying to stand part of putting my wife and family through that, thinking about, oh, the next hit could be the last hit. But, but, but walking away from the game was the toughest thing in the world. And it's so funny because Troy and I would even have dinner. Later on, or have lunch somewhere later on, and I, I, I was in a neck brace. I'm in a neck brace, and Troy's looking at me like, "You really hurt?" Why go back and play? I said, "Troy, no, it's over. <laughs> so, it's really over, you know." But even to this day, when we get together, we always talk about as blessed as we have been, we have been blessed to do the things that we've done. We still talk about we should have done more. And we didn't pour out. And, and so when I talk to kids now, I said, you know, I'm an old man. I get to come around places like this. And we, I reminisce on my history. And it's a great history to reminisce on. But I'm telling young kids all the time, young people, man, you are writing your history. Make sure you write well. Because you're going to want to reminisce well. And trust me, trust me. Don't walk around and say, I don't matter. I don't care. Because you're going to regret those things. I won three, and I don't live within my mind. I should have won five and six. Somebody have. No, a lot of people, they don't have any. They don't have any. And I can't rest with three. So I'm just telling you, do all you can and get as many as you can. Do the best you can to always be your best. What led to your decision to pivot over to media? Something that I can personally attest to being one of your colleagues at the NFL Network, you are exceedingly good at. I, I, I actually, you know, I always thought that this would be the area that I would go in. When I um, went to St. Thomas High School, one of the things, it was very prominent high school for a lot of them, they brought me over. One of the things I learned quickly was all of those kids had a plan. You know, they all had a plan. And I said, okay, coach told me, so let's put together a plan. What do you want to do? And he said, the NFL? He said, okay, but what do you want to do? So I'm playing the NFL. He said, what else are you going to do? You're only going to play in the NFL for so long. What else do you want to do? And, I, and then I started, I said, oh, I'm broadcaster. So, you know, I, I ultimately went to the University of Miami. I graduated uh, with a degree in business, a BMO major and uh, a minor in communication. Back then, back then, in order to come to the league, you had to graduate early. I graduated after my junior year of eligibility. And, and so it made me eligible for the draft, but if any team wanted to draft me that I didn't want to go to since I was only a junior graduating, I could drop a class and they would lose the draft. <laughs> so Green Bay Park. Here I'm in a house. This is a house. My bedroom is bigger than the house that we all grew up in, right? And, and I got all of my family members with me, and it was a bunch of them, you know. And, and, and Green Bay's calling with the seventh pick in the draft. And I don't think so, Green Bay. It's a little too cold. <laughs> and then the whole family started chanting, no way, we're the brokest people in the world. <laughs> we're chanting, no way, Green Bay. No way. <laughs> and, 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 and Dallas didn't even call. Dallas never even called. They just drafted me, and they didn't need to call. And I knew they would draft me. It was Jimmy. I guess I can say it now. Jimmy oh, had already shared. 
Jenny shared with me, he said, listen, he said, Michael, I know what you're doing. He said, I don't have no problem. He said, but Dallas, you're thinking about drafting you, and don't play those shenanigans with Dallas. You can go to Dallas now. And he said to me, to me then, he said, Yo, I got an oil friend who's about to buy the Cowboys, and I may be joining you. So, so I was like, oh, okay, that's going be cool. And they never even called. I could have dropped the class in a long time. <laughs> Sundays as kings. 
you know, to your point, the local reporters when I work for CBS 11, we traveled on the team charter, which is eye-opening in and of itself. That's when I knew that you didn't have to turn your cell phone to airplane mode. No one cares. I was taking off like that. Yeah, okay. They they also, right. And they also serve you, I'm not kidding, it's a five-course meal. I mean, they have ice cream sandwiches that come out to you after they give you your chicken, and then you've got your green beans. And I always wanted to fly to the Cowboys Charter because I get economy at NFL Network. I don't get first class. So I was always impressed by that. Now they still get even Jersey Mike subs. But I think that was a knock on Jason Garrett was the accountability, the fear. He was their best friend. We saw him going to Duke with Tony Romo and going to the basketball games. And he treated them like they were his kids. But I did want to pick up on what you said there. Something that I was talking to Andrew Brandt today. This was the guy that hired Mike McCarthy uh, before he uh, got the job. He interviewed Mike McCarthy and Sean Payton at the exact same time. And they ended up choosing Mike McCarthy over Sean Payton. So, and, and it's funny, you bring up the records. I think it's because Mike is not out there wheeling and dealing in the media the way we typically see Sean. Sean is just naturally effervescent and good when it comes to the camera and has a lot of relationships. But to your point, I think we should sit tight on Mike McCarthy. Yes, I don't think yes, it's terrible yes, yes. at all. Yes, we should give Mike a chance. Now, but another thing, Jane, where I did like, okay, give Sean Payton a little bit more credit, I, I Mike, Mike had. Drew Reed, I mean, uh, Mike had uh, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. I saw Sean Payton win without Drew Brees. He had Ted Bridgewater this year, and he loses his best running back this year. So, so little things like that. Weaponizing Taysom. Right, right. Weaponizing Taysom Hill. Since since in this league now, it's so important to get rushing yards from the quarterback. He knows Drew Brees can't give him rushing yards, so he weaponized. I like that word. I'll throw it around. He weaponized. To go and do things with me. And that's what I call brilliant coaching. It's called brilliant. I'm taking the assets I have and I'm using them to bring the best out of them and, and, and still uh, uh, bring it to the game today. I love it. All right, well, let's get to some QA because I've, I've asked you a couple of questions here. As a leader, what is the one thing you do daily or consistently? I love this question. That has a significant impact on your success and the success of those around you. This. When you wake up in the morning and you put toothbrush to tooth, set your day. Mm. Set your day. I'm going to win this day. That's what you have to do, I think, to be successful. The most important thing is how you see the day. And I tell people, whatever you do in your life, make sure you know it's your calling and not your jobs. There's this study out that says, 85% of the people are unhappy with their jobs. That's not right. 100% of people are unhappy on their job because it's a job. They get up and say, oh, I gotta go do this again. I don't feel like doing it again. If you set your day by thinking of knowing that you are going on your calling, now you get up every morning saying, I'm walking out destiny. I'm not walking out duty. You want to walk out destiny not duty. Duty, you're going to get tired of. Destiny, you'll always yearn for yourself. See, you come here for some wisdom and football stories, and we're taking you to church. What question I have is what advice does Michael have for these young NFL players to build their loyalty in the community, their personal brands, and life after football? I like that one too. And, and it's so incredible because, you know, you guys got to understand, too, a lot of times, 
in, in, in this one this conversation I had with Commissioner Fidel one time, um, you know, we were talking about at the Hall of Fame. I got in the Hall of Fame and he said, you know, what can I do, you know, to make the young guy that are coming in the league respect the league and appreciate the league and all of that and appreciate all of these guys in the Hall of Fame. I said, I said, Commissioner, stop. I said, a lot of these guys that are coming in the league aren't coming in the league to appreciate the league. They are, you know, and, and are, are have, they're coming in the league to get away from their history of being broke, being poor, having nothing. This is the driving force. So you expect them to have knowledge of the league when all they have is knowledge of the hell that they've been in and been through and they're trying to get out of it. So the first thing you should do as soon as they come in the league is give them knowledge of the league. And, and just like when you see these guys when they get drafted and they're up there crying and their mom's crying, they can appreciate and give reverence to the person that has helped them get there, but you've got to show them the people that have helped them get there because all they know is the fight that they've gone through and get to where they are. So now I show them the fight that other people have put forth to make the league what it is so they can get out of the hole that they were in. Then they can start having reference for the league. But you got to give them that lesson. You have to give them that lesson first. You know, I love the NFL 100 initiative that we have where the players got to pick who they want to sit right. down with and go over tape. Who would you have asked to have sit down with? I mean, right, right here. I, I mean, I, I, I love, and I have had to sit down with Drew Peterson. You know, that was a blessing. Every year I go, I ain't been no whole thing. Every year I go to the whole thing. Kellen Winslow played this, he's playing for the Chargers and played this game against Miami. And I mean, he would go in his third down, he was catch a pass, and he's cramping, he's hurt, they have to tote him off the field, and they ice him, and they give him the water, then third down, come back, he comes running back out, he catches the pass, he take him off, and I'm thinking, this is leaving everything on the field. It's the greatest game I've ever seen by a pass catcher. I even wore number eight in high school because I wanted and be like Kelly, he left everything on the field. And every time I see him, I bring that up. I know he's tired of hearing it, but it just motivated me so much to see him give so much, man. And, and, and I love God like that. I love your reference to the game. Believe it or not, I have interviewed players in that Cowboys locker room, and I'll ask them about NFL history, and they'll say to me things like, well, I don't watch that much football. Right, because they yeah, didn't play the game. Because it goes back to the passion. Right, it, it, but, but it also goes back to they didn't play the game for the history. They played the game to escape their history. And, and, and that's why we have to give them the history as they come out of their history to make sure that they can appreciate the game. And that's some awesome stuff. All right, so segment four, we've got five more questions from Fusio that they've compiled. I, I love some of these questions too, Michael. Toughest opponent you've ever faced player, or team? Oh. <clears throat> well, the greatest cornerback that's ever lived is Deion Sanders, I think. He's just a gifted, talented player. I've always said one or two things. I, I can beat a man by attacking his weakness. I can break a man by attacking his strength, you know. And, and so no matter what, if I had a small corner that I'm bigger than, then I can attack his size and just beat him up. If I had a bigger corner that I was quicker in, then I could attack his quickness. He was a big, quick dude. He was a fast dude. He was big, too. 
Though I beat him all the time. So. <laughs> It was still my toughest opponent on the daily basis. If there was an opponent. It's so funny, one of the most difficult guys I've played against was a guy who walked masses and was crazy because Drew Rosenhaus, I don't know if you guys know Drew Rosenhaus, he's one of the biggest, one of the bigger agents. Drew Rosenhaus wanted to be Mel Kite. He's my best friend in college, you know, and, and and I got him in the agent business. He wanted to be Mel Kiper. Mel Kiper. Mel Kiper, man. You know what I mean? So, so I got him in the agent business. We graduated together, and I had work with my agent, and then he went on to be his own agent. And his first client was Robert Massey. And he would always, you know, I was in the league, and he was learning to become an agent. And, and he was just starting to work with Robert Massey. He wanted me to help him get in. And so I would call Robert Massey all the time. He was a cornerback yeah, he couldn't believe he was talking to me. I said, yeah. I said yeah, watch this. Watch the first play of the game. The dude will come up and press. I've been watching him on film. He likes to press the first play. I'm going to tell Coach, I'll tell Coach to run away from the play just so I can right up on the next <laughs> I'm going to set him up with one of the guys. Let him know what kind of day is going to be. You know? So I told Robert Bassett all of my story. All of my story. I never thought about one day he'll be in the league. And I gotta play against him. In New Orleans drafted him. And I remember the first game. I would play Dion and have 150 up. Daryl Gray have 130. Come back to Rob Wilson, 140. And then Robert Massey. I would line up and he come line up. He's, <laughs> he's, I'm not gonna stay up here. He'll back up. And it was in my head because he knew I had told him too much. Right? I, I told him I, I wore a mouthpiece that I wore in my mouth. Right. We played on turf. I never knew why he didn't figure this out. Right, and it's a mouth guard. You put the mouthpiece in and it, you know, cover my lips. And I would put dirt all on the lips outside. Just dirt all on, right? And, and then do the filthy dude. What is this dude? It's a dirty mouthpiece. You know? It's not even in dirt on We play on turf. You know what I'm saying? But they never figured it out. And I was just trying to psych them out. But I couldn't do it with Robert Massey. So, so Robert was a, was a tough outfit. He was a tough outfit. Fair, you did give him war secrets. I gave him war secrets today. I, I, I never did it again. You can never talk to me about anything. You know, it's just, I did. I did my own training. Did my own, I, I kept everything secret just because of Robert Massey. He was a tough outfit. Well, I have to ask you too, because Dion works with us and uh, he loves to talk that talk. Yeah. Was he one of the best trash talking cornerbacks you ever lined up against? Dion, Dion really didn't talk much when we played. You know, he, he was the, 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 the championship game, and they won that game, the 94 championship game. Uh, Dion was playing some, and, and, and Dion would come off, and I was, you know, I'm, I'm bigger than Dion, so I'll just be fired. And it was in the Eagles, some of the stuff I was doing. You know, I'm hitting crap, skating that And Kevin Williams, who's my boy, Kevin Williams, he would come back and deal with Kevin, Kevin, you tell why are you with him? And they saw me in the hole, and Kevin comes in. He said, I'm going to shut up. Don't you come in. I don't hear anything. You know, I was like, just be quiet. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. 
But Dion was, he, he was a great dude, man. One, he's one of the greatest athletes I've ever seen. You know, we, we competed dunk contests and all of those things together, not just football. We took it off the football field, we put it in basketball court. Of course, he played in uh, professional baseball. He, he, he's a great dude and, 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 a, and a wonderful athlete. I enjoyed competing. And he'll tell you he's the greatest, which is the other thing I love about him. He is the greatest. He really is the greatest. Listen, Dion played a baseball game, hit a home run, hopped on a helicopter, went over and played a football game, and caught an interception. Trust me, man. That's insane. You're using a whole different bunch, a whole different muscle group to play one sport in the, in, in the other, and he was able to do that. It is, it's almost physically impossible. It's almost physically impossible. Two different opponents and two different right, sports. Right, and, and, and both, and both, you're phenomenal, Ian. He's just a phenomenal man. Really. All right, so one player you wish you could have played with on the same team. You, you know who I always wish I could have played with and I thought I'd have a chance? It's actually Dan Marino. Dan Marino's the only guy that's in my man cave that has not won a championship. I got a chance called a championship cave, and everybody's in there that has won a championship. Dan Marino's the only guy. That is that is that it hasn't won a championship, but he's still there. He's that great. And and I was watching him in Miami, and I used to run around and hang out with Mark Duper and Mark Clayton, and, and I thought Miami would draft me. They needed a big receiver, and I was right there in Miami, and I really wanted to play with Dan Marino, and it never worked out. And I tell him this all the time. We all go man, I wish I could have gone, man, I made him draft you. I said, Dan, I could have gotten in the ring, buddy. <laughs> As he told you the story about his man cave, are you guys just not sitting there going, can you imagine the memorabilia that right. he has in his man cave? What's your most impressive yeah. memorabilia you've got? I, I don't know. I'm up now, my man cave, I don't have any memorabilia. I just got pictures of guys like the Ollies, the Jordans, the guys that climbed the mountains. And instead of standing on top, they made another mountain to climb. They just went and go great and go kept getting great and kept getting great. Now my pool hall, my pool hall. <laughs> yeah, some trophies and rings and everything. And that you know what I mean? I got all the pictures and 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 and, and my, my my banner across has each ring, you know, national championship rings, Super Bowl rings, Hall of Fame rings, and and, and, and big pictures across the uh, the curtains and everything. So and, and I, I got all of that stuff in, in my pool hall, which I never really get to go to because I work all the time. You know, I got my schedule. Wednesday night I leave Dallas to go wherever the Thursday night game is. I do the Thursday night game. My flight or Friday, I fly Friday. Sit with the ballboard and I fly Friday to, to uh, either Florida to watch my son play Saturday, and then I fly Saturday all the way to LA. Work LA Saturday and Sunday. And I fly home Sunday night, I see my wife, look at the house that I pay for. After the plane Monday, go to New York, I do inside the NFL in New York on Tuesday, shoot at Tuesday, come back home Tuesday night, and start all back over Wednesday. So, you know, I, I, I tell my wife, I said, you know, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to come and see the house that, that I pay for. I don't live in it. I don't live in it because I, I gotta work. And, and, and I kiss her every morning. I said, "Baby, let me go out here and get your money." She said, "You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, 
starts at 6 a.m. on the West Coast. So, you know, that, that's, a, that, that's a 4 a.m. call time. You know, it's call time's 4 a.m. I used to be giving it about 4.30 or 4.45. And then at one point when Miami was kind of turnover chain and, and the mid-year, you were exactly. at the Miami so game at 12, 12, 1 o'clock. Right. So I had to get out the Miami game, and then I got to pick a private flight all the way over in Take the private plane all the way over like land and Dallas in LA. Sometimes like one or two in the morning. I get an hour of rest, try to get an hour of sleep, and then go right to the studio. You know, just my son, and they were winning, and I got I gotta show up at his game because he played at the University of Miami. So I got I have to be there and have to show him that I'm there no matter what. Then get back on that plane. And I mean, then I gotta watch games all day. I mean, I'm exhausted. I'm like, I'm exhausted. And then when I try to tell my wife, you know, then, even when I land, I land in the car. Like, I got to call her before I take off the car when I'm at, baby. I made the safety. She said, oh, I'm sorry, baby. Can you run by the store? <laughs> yeah, just send me a picture of what you need me to do. <laughs> I love Drew Pearson, I love Kelly Winslow, 
But we, we, we all have a different skill set. You know, Drew is probably, probably he's a little smaller and a little quicker. Kelly was bigger, a little short. So what I try to do is blend them together. You know, blend those blend those things together. I remember when I first got to lead, man, and I was trying to take a guy out of the line of Institute, just chucked me in my chest, man, and, and Everson Walls got me stuck on the line because I watched look at Kelly Martin fake these lies. And then Kelly Martin came in and he said, hey, what are you doing? He said, man, what are you doing? I said, I'm just trying to get around. He said, man, if I was you, I'd run right through that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try that next. <laughs> and, and it worked. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I could just run right through that joke. Then my the mind started twisting and I broke it down all the way. You know, I, I started saying, oh, all the nursery. Any moving object here is still object given the same way the science should move, but still object. All I gotta do is be the moving object. So then what I did was take out sound travel. When Troy's over there saying blue 18, blue 18, sound travels. The center hears it first. And then it travels out. Blue 18, blue 18, it reverberates all the way out to me. So blue 18, set, 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 huh, 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 huh. And they tell you, wait, wait till the ball moves before you go. I can't wait on the ball move. I gotta go now. So what I did was take out the sound traveling. Blue 18, blue 18, set, set, set. When set hits my ear over there, I'm thinking Troy said hut way over there. So I'm not waiting on hut, 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 hut. He says set, set hits my ear. I'm going now. He's saying hut over there. We're moving at the same. Instead of hiking, I move. It's moving at the same. And no quarterback, but he's on the side. He's on the side. <laughs> I'm laying in there. He's not even ready. He's not. I was killing them dudes with that. It took forever for them to figure it out. Then they just stopped. Let me back up on the joke. I made them all, man. But, but I started thinking about all of those things and ways to get great. And, and, and if you want to be great in anything, you got to sleep with it. You got to eat with it. You got to walk with it. You got to talk with it. That's how I figured out all that I figured out. Like, wait a minute, man. I'm going to take this out. I can do this. I can do that. Because I slept with it. I ate with it. I walked with it. I talked with it. That's what it takes to be great at anything. Who wants to run through a wall right now after I say? Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest, Michael Irvin. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like more information on how you can attend our live events or book our new virtual ones, visit www.thuzio.com. That's T-H-U-Z-I-O.com. And be sure to follow us on social media at Thuzio.